0: My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're with us. Uh, so good morning to you. Good morning to you, Manistee. Uh, so glad that you guys are with us. Uh, we're an amazingly blessed group of people, are we not? Uh, you know, you just think about how did you get here. Uh, you probably drove. Uh, some of you might have walked. I don't know. Maybe you had a bummer ride. Uh, but we got here. Nobody stopped us unless you're speeding. Um, and and you know we're free to worship. Then I mean, you come in and we have a, this amazing gift. This amazing blessing called coffee, uh, and, and we have really good coffee here this point. In fact, I, I think we have a challenge with Majesty about who has the best coffee, uh, you or us, and I would like to be the sole judge of that um, because I'm a coffee hound. Uh, we are truly blessed. We're in Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 5, and it is uh, a very simple little thing. There, there's basically three little parts of it that happen, and David becomes king, and then... Um, there's a fight for the city of Jerusalem, and, and and then there's a couple of other battles. We're going to get into that in a little bit, but before we get there, is it okay if we do some therapy? Yeah, you know, all right, you know, confession is good for the soul, they say. Um, I did a bad thing this week. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably did more than one. No, I did a bad thing. Um, I chose to do this bad thing, and... Uh, it it really kind of twisted my mind and, and unsettled me in a, a drastic way, uh, and it's why I don't do it very often. Um, I did a deep dive into news this week. Oh, you know, I just love the, oh. <laughs> uh, specifically, you know, in, in the politics, they should bring an even bigger, oh, right? Uh, and, and I did that because I, I don't isolate myself. I, I really want to know what's going on in the world. I mean, th- there's a lot of events that we can pray for and, and, and trust that God's in control. You know, Haiti just had an assassination of a president. We've got the huge floods in, in Europe, you know, in Germany and Netherlands and Belgium and, you know, just devastation like they've never seen. There's wars in Africa that are going on, genocides. Are, and it's overwhelming and it's all negative. So I did a deep dive into politics, because I'm a masochist. (laughs) And this deep dive into politics is, I was looking for something. I wasn't exactly sure what I was looking for, but I was looking for a common thread through all of this. And uh, people put their faith and their hope in politicians. Um. And that, that, that's a fruitless endeavor. Politicians are humans, uh, and, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna goof up somewhere. You know, politicians, uh, a lot of them, they live under a, an actual microscopic camera their entire lives. And uh, imagine if the camera followed you forever and dissected every word you said. And it's incredibly divisive right now. And this isn't about politics. And, and, you know, the only thing we ever say about politics is vote for Jesus, right? Uh, th- that, that's it. I encourage you to be well-educated and, and make your decisions prayerfully uh, of, of how you vote. And, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that we have. But we live in such a country it's just filled with so many blessings that it seems like we need to pick things to complain about. And news, we are very, very, very painfully looking for the negative society. Amen? Because that's what sells. And you want to know who buys? Us. So, this deep pit that I had, I've, you know, I was able to resurrect my way out of that through Scripture, through trying to be obedient to God. Uh, but, but I needed to go there because here's this common thread that I found there, there were two things basically. One is uh, out of the billions of words that were written this week alone about various political situations, God was never mentioned once in any of them that I read. I mean, I'm a pretty fast reader, you know. I can read like hundred words. That's kind of a joke. I'm letting you. Out. I'm trying to let the air out of the room, right? But I never saw God mentioned once. But there was a more common thread, and in, in, in that was that uh, we're really busy demonizing people for their beliefs, for their practices, for their actions. And sometimes I wonder what separates us followers of Jesus from the world. And so, in the sadness of my conclusion, and this isn't every, I mean, God has put so many unbelievable people in my lives, young and old and everything in between with all these different experiences that love Jesus and live fruitful lives that have taken time to teach me. And so, this isn't about everybody. It's not about you necessarily. It's about this conglomeration called the Christian world. And what I realize is there's a whole bunch of people that I know-ish Right? You can only have a few good friends. So I'm acquaintances. And, and with a, a number of those people that claim to be Christian, I know more about their politics than their God. And that made me really desperately sad. Because that's what's being worshipped. And let me tell you how much of an idol that is. It's like worshipping Baal. Baal. Uh, it, 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 there has never been the perfect government on earth. There will never be the perfect man or woman to lead that government on earth as we know it. It, it, it isn't going to be. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we hide our heads and, and don't know what's going on or have opinions. That's really good. That's really good. But the answer ended up coming for me more out of this little bit of scripture. So God had this providence in mind when I went ahead and did the deep dive stupidly. And he redeemed it. God uses evil for good. There's two things I learned out of the book of Genesis. There was a long time ago when I was younger and had brown hair at that time. And uh, my wife and I were kind of chasing after God a little bit. She was, I was tagging along because I had to because I was married. Uh, And I didn't realize what a blessing that would end up being for me. However, we took this class called Bethel Bible. Bethel Bible. I mean, Christian ghetto right down the middle. And uh, so, so we went, and I made it through the book of Genesis before I ended up not going anymore, but I learned something fantastic in Genesis. It taught two things, and number one, the book of Genesis, one of the summaries you could take out of the entire story, and it's so much more, you know, I don't know if you know the book of Genesis, uh, it's so much more than the story of Adam and Eve, it's the beginning of the history of God's people, uh, it, it, it's the beginning of history, it's fantastic, And a lot of evil happens. And the the author summarize it, that God can use evil for good. God can use evil circumstances that we create for good. He can flip them. Do you believe that? You know, he can. He does that. And the second thing I learned is that there's a number of characters in that uh, first chapter that are ridiculously blessed. I mean, it's just like, boom, you're going you're gonna to be a nation and here's all of these kids you're going to have and you're old and you're going to have kids anyways and you're going to be rich and you're going to have all of these things and they're just ridiculously blessed. And it's kind of cool, you know, looking at it, but I'm, you know, I'm figuring out how do I get in on that blessing? Because that was my motive back then. But then the author did this switch on me that has forever changed my life. And the switch is this, is that those people were blessed for one reason, to be a blessing to others. <sighs> so, I don't know if you can, in your mind, put those all together. The chaos in the world, but specifically where we live in America, and the, the division and, and the vitriol and the hatred that's spewed over and over and over, that's evil and God can turn that for good. And a lot of those peoples that, that, that are there are incredibly blessed. They're handsome or pretty and smart and have degrees and whatever. But they're just holding those blessings. They're they're not turning it out. And what God says in his way, you know, like, like Jesus comes and flips everything upside down. He flips everything upside down for us. And God is flipping everything upside down in the very first chapter of the Bible. You're blessed for one reason, to pass it on. And what we've learned through history is if you don't pass it on, you lose it. One of the things that comes out of blessings that you receive and then give away is this word that we're all looking for. It's called peace. Peace that transcends all understanding. So if you're like me you can hear the story and start to get anxious. Anybody ever feel that way when they read the news? I mean, I have four children and one grandchild, and I'm worried for them. Anybody else? Yeah? Okay, thank you. Manistee? So, what I found is God gave me an answer that I want to pass along to you, and it's out of this chapter. And I'm going to read the chapter... Remember, it goes in three little parts, uh, and I'm just going to read all the way through. I might say something, but we're going to try to get through. And, and there's one spot where we get a whole bunch of names. David gets more wives, right? Not, not a good thing at all. That's a different sermon. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, he gets more wives. And, and during those three, chapter, or those three verses, it's just all their names. And I'm not going to embarrass myself by reading them. So this is what it says. Second Samuel 5, verse 1. Then all of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron. Before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. This is actually the third time he's been anointed, but this one is for real. He's really the king now. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Now, verse 6 tells us this it says, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here. I'm going to pause right there because this next little bit seems a little awkward. Uh, they're trash talking. And they're saying, even the blind and the lame, if that's all we had to defend, you'll never break in. So uh, they, they said, the, um, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. So they own this city, and David is going to take it. It's called Jerusalem. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft, and attack the lame and the blind. That's in a quote, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the strong house and called it the city of David. And David built a great city all around from Milo inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. I'm going to pause there for just a second. They've been in the promised land for 400-ish years. And God said, these people, you need to move them all out. The Canaanites, God had a plan for them, get them out, kick them all out by whatever means. And they didn't. And it's this whole story that we've been going through, all of these battles and wars and deaths and frustration because they didn't follow God's instructions. Now David finally accomplishes what God wanted. And he goes to the city of Jerusalem, which is called the city of David. During this period, it'll become Jerusalem. And he conquers it, finally. So there's a sense of peace that happens right there. Verse 11, and King Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And David took more concubines. And I'm going to stop there and we're going to drop down to 17. That's not in God's plan. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's not in his plan. God designed marriage, one man, one woman, and that's his plan and design. And this is a flaw of David. Remember, he's just a man. So verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up and searched for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephium, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-Perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-Perizim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephiam. And David inquired of the Lord, and he said, "You shall not go up, go around to the rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching troops in the top top of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines." And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Giba to Gezer, the end. So David takes Jerusalem finally. But there's a couple of key things in here that are going to answer the question that I posed a little bit earlier. You know, I think about where we get our wisdom from, and I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, where does my wisdom come from? And... Most people that I ask are a little baffled, and like I'm not, I'm not sure what, what, what does that mean. Where does my well, we have knowledge. We get knowledge from school, but then wisdom is how we choose to apply the knowledge. And where does that come from? And for most of us, the normal natural process is our family of origin, and then outside of the family of origin, maybe aunts or uncles, or teachers, or coaches, or special friends whatever that God, you know, puts in our life and they teach us wisdom. And often we stop there. And I've watched the ruinness in my own life stopping there and not seeking further wisdom. And the wisdom that we're looking for comes from scripture. It just does. It's there. It's the living word and it's applicable today, yesterday and tomorrow. So have you ever felt this, said this, or heard someone say, you know, I'm seeking God's will. I wish you'd just send me an email, send me a text, right? He did. It's called the Bible. And if that's too big of a challenge, okay, there's a really simple place. The first text that he sent you is called the Ten Commandments. Start there. That's God's will for our life. David does something profound. In his experience, he he had been anointed 15 years before, and then there's another anointing, and now it's the final official anointing. I don't know why there needs to be three, but David, at 15-ish years old, was first anointed, and he wasn't ready to take over yet. He needed to learn. He needed to gain wisdom, and he gained his wisdom through experience. And Samuel was one of his teachers, Saul was another, but God was his primary. And he began to seek God's will, and then he forgot and didn't. Oh, that's me. That's what I do sometimes. I don't, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one, right? And I, I don't seek that wisdom anymore. I think I've kind of got it, and I start going with this thing called feelings, Which are always valid, but often incorrect. David seeks wisdom from God, and when he doesn't seek wisdom from God, he ends up living amongst the Philistines as a vagabond with his troop of 600 men and however many women and children, about 1,300 altogether, out raiding with no security, meshing with the enemy. And it doesn't go well. Now, he's talented enough that he gets by. That's pretty cool. But it doesn't really go well. And he's not finding a purpose in life. Do you have a purpose in life? Or do you have a purpose for the moment? Well, you know, what's our purpose? Well, our purpose comes from our wisdom. And our wisdom comes from our experience and experience teaches us that, that, that really what we need to do is we need to go to Scripture to find out what wisdom really is so that we can apply that in our way to our lives, finding God's will. So, what does this all have to do with us? What does it have to do with the chaos that I read about in the news? Now, the chaos that I wrote, you realize that we fight against not this world, but against the principalities of, this, of the evil of this world. That's, that's our true battle. So getting the right candidate in isn't going to change anything. There's still going to be floods. There's still going to be wars. There's still going to be assassinations. There's still going to be division. If we follow Jesus, there should be a noticeable difference. Not something so subtle that you have to draw attention to it, right? It should be out front. And it should permeate us. And this permeation is a sense of peace. Well, why should we have peace in the midst of all this chaos? Because on our chest is written for whom Christ died. That's why. Now, on everybody else's chest, the same thing is written, but you know some people haven't read it yet? And our vitriol and anger and fear about politics ain't going to do it. I promise you, it will push them farther away. That's harsh, isn't it? So what does God desire of us? Well, he desires something completely different. He wants us to flip it upside down. And he did that by giving us the end of the story. First, he provides us salvation through faith and belief that Christ died for our sins once and for all. And, and, and that our belief in that is enough. Not, not, not all of our beauty and perfection, just that. We're all lost and he found us. And he goes so far as to go, guess what, guys, I, I know fear is part of life, so I'm going to give you the end of the story. Now, I'm not going to give it in super plain terms, but I'm going to give you the end of the story. Jesus wins. He wins. Why would we fear anything if we know that? If we know that, why would we fear that? Well, you know, but there's going to be little types of fear, right? Right? I don't know if anybody here is a dentist. If you are, please stay away from me. Um, because I'm terrified of you. I have fear, actual measurable fear. I sweat, my heart rate goes up. They're going to ask me stupid questions. You know, do you floss every day? Yeah. You know, I'm just going to lie. <laughs> because I'm so afraid. Now, that's a different type of a fear. That can be addressed. There's therapy for that. We can get you there. It's not called immersion therapy. We're not going to do that. (laughs) But there's other ways to get past it. But the real fear in life, if you know your purpose, and you know the end of the story, and you do what David did in this little bit. David's just a man. Remember how much he screwed up? He got a whole bunch more wives. He already did, you know, uh, two chapters ago. He got even more. And that actually comes back to haunt him in a pretty, pretty terrifying way. But he's just a man, but he gets it right here. And the reason I believe that it's written down is so we can do it right. On occasion, never perfectly. Only one man, only one human will ever have done it perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ. But that doesn't absolve us of trying, right? So we're going to try. How does life get better? What David knows, three things. Number one... He knew that God placed him in that position to become king. He knew that that was God's providence, that God did not make a mistake, that he chose him from whatever time period. I don't know how God's mind works, but he was chosen to be the king. And that took his fear away. Do you know where you're at today? Married, unmarried, single, divorced, going through a bad relationship, sick, Healthy, tall, short, with kids, without kids, being young or old, that God has you there exactly on purpose. Do you know that? He's, he didn't create the, the evil in the world and the pain and the suffering, but the position that he puts you in, he put you there for a reason. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Because he did. He's got this purpose for you. David knew he knew that he knew that he knew. He had communication with God, and his heart was at peace, and he's going to lead. Second thing that David understood, and this is, this is really hard, but the kingdom belonged to God, not to David. David. In our history stories and in our fantasy stories, when there's the king, you know, well, he was a good king or he was a bad king or whatever. You know, and we like to dwell on the bad kings because bad news sells and we like those stories. I do too, you know, but he's busy protecting every, you know, corner, making sure his back is always covered and he's so possessive of his kingdom. And David is just a caretaker. Notice in that bit of scripture, it says that God anointed him prince, not king. There's only one king, and that's King Jesus. David knew that the kingdom belonged to God, and he was a participant. So when we go to the world of politics, and this is just such an easy one to pick on, it could be, put your own topic in there if that's not relevant to you. Somehow or other, we think that there's something in our wisdom that is so correct and so right that we know the answer and you don't. And if you don't agree with me, you're an evil person. And the sad part is, is that when we say that, Christ is saying no, on their chest is written for whom Christ died. They might not know Jesus yet or know what it says yet, but he still died for them, period. That's our brother and sister, period. Period. They might have a different opinion than you. Now, the simplest place to go with this is with our possessions. Right? So, you know, I've got a lighter in this pocket. So this is my lighter. Right? Because, darn it, I paid cash for this. It's mine. It goes back in my pocket. And we think that way of our houses. And the things in our house and our cars. So I had this epiphany before I became a Christian. Uh, my wife was fully there and she was gently encouraging me. Uh, and, and I mean that in that, that's that a true statement. She was gently, lovingly leading from the second chair, trying to get me to see who Jesus is. And she's got a patience of a saint when it came to that because I, I was a difficult customer. But we made a decision to build a house, and it was a dream of mine in particular, but ours too. And so we had this beautiful house where someone were going to downsize, and I built this house, and it ended up being bigger than I thought. Uh, And, you know, I'm driving back. I I had an old tractor, and I was hauling stumps. And the first evening, I'm coming back from hauling stumps out back. uh, I look up, and it was the first time we had electricity in our house, and we had lights. And the lights were strings of lights right? And I have a lot of glass in the front of the house. Picture that. It's like a Robert Kincaid picture. It's so beautiful because the light's kind of yellow, you know? And I just dropped the blade and shut the tractor off. And it's like, what have I done? What have I done? Why did I build such a monstrosity? It's not that big, but in my head it was. (sighs) "Ah, Shame on me. And I just felt all this terrible guilt and You know, a couple weeks go by, and I have another evening where I'm hauling the rest of the stumps back. And I come back, and I stop in that exact same place, put the blade down, look at it, and just felt this word come from this mysterious person. Might be God. I don't know. But it's like, if you use it for me, I want you to have it. If you use it for me, I want you to have it. If you bless others with this, with what you have, then I want you to have it. And stop feeling cruddy about it. Enjoy it. <sighs> I still didn't choose to follow him yet because <laughs> I'm a little hard headed. But that gave me peace like I had not expected because it was his, right? So now we take the possessions and we get it to the really important thing because the possessions, you guys know, in a couple of hundred years, my house will probably be gone, it'll fall down, it'll rot and it'll go back to dust in a blink of an eye. Same with all of my possessions. But if we move from possessions to our heart, and what's been gifted to us, the knowledge of forgiveness, the knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of uh, a purpose in our life. So we seek God's will, and then he blesses us. There's a song from my childhood that still haunts me. Maybe this is just a complete therapy session for me. Uh, and it's a beautiful song with really great lyrics, and it was probably given to good music. I don't know. But the way it was sung, I was in Sunday school. You, know, you have to picture me. I, ha- I always had a tie and a you know slacks, I guess they called them. I hate that word. So, you know, like dressy pants and then shoes that supposedly fit in church. I don't know. And I'm this little kid, and you know, you're sitting on the little chairs, and you're singing about count your blessings one by one. Anybody know that song? Anybody out there ever hear that song? I hate that song. <laughs> and the only reason I hate that song so much is that the way they sang it to me is I felt like I had an IQ of four. It's like, I get it. Stop going with number one and number two. And I, you know, I, I know how to count already. So I have a problem with that, but the, the message is incredibly perfect. Count your blessings. When is the last time you actually sat down and thought about it With God in mind, with praise and thanks in mind, knowing how much he loves you, that he cares enough, the creator of the universe blessed me. And you start listing them. That's what was missing from all of the news. There is no forgiveness. There's only condemnation. There is no love. There is only hatred in that news that I read. I'm telling you from my heart of hearts, it was a it was a powerfully poisonous experience that could taste it. And that's what was missing. And sometimes that's where our wisdom comes from. Wrong. Our wisdom has to come from scripture. We have to realize that this God is blessing us. And He's blessing us for one reason. See, the third thing David learned was this reason. David was a blessed man. I mean, just from the physical attributes. At 15, he was so athletic and so good with a sling that he killed the giant. Right? When everybody else is terrified. You know, in further scripture, we're going to find out the man can dance. You know? I mean, he might, like, dress inappropriately, like no clothes, but he still can dance. And I have a feeling he's pretty darn handsome. I mean, the guy is blessed. I know, but he's blessed in his heart in a totally different way. And David realizes that. And he's there for one reason. He's getting blessed for one reason. And that's to bless the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. Now we go to the New Testament. You guys know you're the chosen now? And he blesses you for one reason. To bless others. To pass it on. To give it away. To not hoard it. If you hoard it, you know it, it, it's it's like holding a tiny little pet too tight. You're gonna hurt it. It's gonna run away. The blessings God's given you. He wants you to enjoy them. He made this earth for us. He made everything that's beautiful for us to enjoy on this earth while we're here, and He wants us to enjoy those. So, having a house, having the cars, having a, that, that's all fine. Those are all blessings but he wants us to use them to point to his kingdom. And we can't point to Jesus in his kingdom with one hand while we're punching a perceived enemy with the other. Then we're no different than the world. No different. We live by grace. And the peace that comes from us out of this grace should be a light on a hill. And it should be so attractional that people can't help but see it. And you're not going to be able to show it to everybody, but God's going to put you on purpose in specific positions where you can, and it will change someone else's life. Maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, but it might be just the first thought, like when I was on my tractor feeling ashamed and then felt this sense of peace, like, no, if you use it for, for me, then it's okay. That it could be that first step towards Jesus. See, I didn't understand that for the longest time in my life. I, I, I knew religion and I hated it. In the last place, you know, in God's sense of humor, that I ever, ever, ever wanted to work was a church. Never. Because I don't like people. And all they do is judge me and point fingers. I was, I was pretty wrong in that. But through the blessing of my wife and her gentleness and her kindness and, and through the mentors God's put in my life so graciously over the years even way before I followed they were all blessing me with this thing called the truth and and I finally saw the truth and now that I have the truth I want to pass the truth on and I can't do it with my mouth I know that's pretty weird to say I'm standing up here using my mouth you know did I tell you I have a lighter I don't know why I just did that (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I'm passionate about this and, and I want this for us I, I want our community at the tab or you know either here or in Manistee or those, those that listen online I, I, I want us to, to exude a light that's so powerful that people can't help but be attracted it isn't us, it's Jesus through us Right? And he wants that desperately. So I want to end with a couple of thoughts. Do you know in your heart of hearts that the creator of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, who sacrificed his son, is for you? He's your advocate. He wants you home. He's in love with you. There's nothing we could ever experience on this planet that is more comforting and inviting and loving and gracious than his fondness for you. Do you know that? Because I want you to. Second thing is that this should bring us an intense amount of peace. We've just gone through a couple of the weirdest years in a long time in this country. And as it's wound us up and caused stress, that's a normal thing. But we can't live there. And his blessing upon you, one of the greatest blessings he can give you is peace. The tension can go. The purpose can be clear. God's desire for you and the mission he has for you in your life can become evident every single day. There's two verses that I'm going to leave you with. Then the band's going to come out and we're going to sing another song about blessing and who God is. James 4.10 says this. If you're wondering what to do this week, to do with this, to this afternoon or whatever, James 4.10 tells us, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself. That means admit you're not perfect and that you don't have it all together and sometimes you're stressed. Uh, Be real with God. Don't be a pretend follower. uh, With pretend heart, be soft-hearted and humble yourself. Tell him you need him. And he will exalt you. It means he will lift you up. He will hold you. He'll be your advocate. And then Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. God's with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. That's an intimate sentence. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the righteousness of my right hand. That right hand is so symbolic. It is so symbolic. It's his holiness and his righteousness and his power. That's what he's going to hold you up with. I want us, I want us to shine. Like LED flashlights. Goodbye, your heads, Father. Help us count our blessings. Help us understand the realness of your advocacy for us as individuals that that you're on our team and you want us to succeed and that you've got a plan. Help us, Father, to be humble enough to believe that and follow it and live it. Father, you're going to give us opportunities this week, and some of them are going to be financial opportunities. So I'm going to share with you, the congregation, there's going to be an opportunity this week to maybe you go to a restaurant and get a cup of coffee and just leave a $20 tip with no expectation. Just bless somebody out there. But more importantly than that, there's going to be an opportunity to bless somebody with your peace, your joy, and your love, and your genuine concern for that person. I'm going to challenge you. Do both in one week. Count your blessings and watch your heart melt. May God be with you. May peace be with you. Bless you all.